so far this year and we'll touch on the nhl's god-awful response to the kyle beach sexual assault scandal uh but we will start with adam fox so on monday night the rangers announced that adam fox and the team had agreed to a seven-year 66.5 million dollar contract extension that will keep the norris trophy winner in new york through the end of the 2028-2029 season becky i want to start with you just uh what was your initial reaction to that somewhat surprising news drop uh, on Monday night. So I was in Emily's room, right? I was in our daughter's room and saw it come through on Rob's phone, actually, (laughs) and literally jumped up like I have not jumped since I was probably 16 years old, like with like any kind of grace and like did not feel any pain in my knees or my back and like sprinted to get my phone and I think I screamed like a happy weird noise like I don't even know what it was I've never been well I was really happy when they extended Mika um but like even that I was like yeah you know like don't like the contract's like whatever it's fine but I really like Mika and I think he is a valuable piece of the puzzle and so that's fine but like I don't think even the most curmudgeon like miserable sector of Twitter can be upset about this. Like, this is actually something we can all be happy about and unite about. I mean, he took a hometown discount because, like, McAvoy is making the same and Adam Fox is better. Like, this is just my hot take here, but Adam Fox is the best defenseman in the National Hockey League right now. And, I like, the way he's playing right now, he's playing better than he played last year. So imagine that, that he's going to continue to get better. I mean, so he's what, 24? Am I making that up? He'll be 24 in, I think, February. Yes. That's right. So he's only going to get better. Like, this is one of those situations where it's like, I don't I'm not even looking at the back end of it and being upset because he's going to be 31. You know, it's like, okay, so what? Big DL, and we'll just yeah. resign him then. <laughs> like, just I smart move. Thrilled by hit by him and his agent too, in the sense that he gets a chance at another big contract. You know, if he doesn't fall off and really start declining in his late twenties or early thirties, which you know these elite players often don't follow the typical aging curve of a of a, an average or even a good NHLer, he lines himself up for even another big payday, another five, six, seven year contract. So. Yeah. I mean, that certainly works out for him. Um, Dave, I, you know, I think obviously, as Becky mentioned, this was a universally loved move, pretty much a slam dunk for Chris Drury in the front office to get this done once they knew that Adam Fox wanted, you know, a contract beginning with the number nine in terms of average annual value. But how does it impact the cap situation moving forward? And, and does this affect or how does it affect their ability to build a contender around their best skater. I think it's fair to call Fox that even on a team with Panarin, Zibanejad, et cetera. Uh, Pan- oh, sorry. Uh, Fox is 100% their best player. I mean, I don't think anybody would yeah. 
disagree with that. They're, the only other player that we could skater that we can put in that sentence is Panarin, and given his start to the season, it's clearly Fox. Uh, when it comes to the contract, it's it's front loaded, which is amazing. Um, there were two things that caught my eye. The first is the timing of the signing bonuses. Obviously, he couldn't start getting signing tremendous signing bonuses until he was in his UFA years. Uh, I, there's something in the CBA that RFAs can't get huge bonuses, apparently. And that's when the CBA actually expires, at the end of the 25-26 season. So his first big bonus is $6.5 million in 26-27. He guarantees himself money if and when there's a lockout assuming Gary Bettman is still alive at that point. Um, And the second is it basically makes the contract buyout proof starting in those UFA years. Again, I don't really think that's going to be an issue. I mean, if we're buying out Adam Fox, something went horribly, horribly wrong. Like, yeah. the, like the entire team came down with the measles or something, and we have to buy everybody out. I don't know. That that's the mumps. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Sorry. The panther and also the Panthers well, have the measles, and they forfeited so we know the that season. That's not an issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I still don't understand how the entire league got the mumps, but that's just besides the point. Um, <laughs> off topic. Uh, no MMR and, shots, man. Yeah, seriously. In terms of. The cap, people are very worried about, not so much the Fox contract, but Zibanejad and Truba and how that plays into Panarin and Kreider and all of that. The Rangers have 50-some-odd million dollars tied up in five players. But that's what good teams do. They lock up their key guys to big contracts, and they figure it out. When it comes to the cap, even with Fox's $9.5 million, million salary, the Rangers still have $10 million in cap space. And they have, what, Ryan Strom is probably on his way out. So they have to re-sign, what, Sammy Blay, Capo Caco, and Libor Hayek, who will command <laughs> yeah. so much money in restricted free agency. But I don't know. In all seriousness, yeah, they need a two uh, a replacement center. Assuming Filipino isn't viewed as the two C going forward, there was somebody in my mention that mentions that said the Rangers don't have a, a two LD, a second left defenseman, and I'm just intrigued to what you think Keandre Miller is. <laughs> oh yeah, or the top four is pretty much locked in. Yeah, yeah, or Zach Jones in a pinch. Or Matthew yeah. Robertson They're in a pinch. They're with defensive prospects. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure where that comment came from. It screamed somebody who was using a burner account to, to try to get under our skin, and it just didn't make sense. Just like a pro tip, if you want to try to get under our skin, actual, actually make sense. I don't know what else to tell you here. Like, make logical sense, even if it's the complete opposite me. way. But then again, <laughs> if you make completely logical sense, you wouldn't need a burner account, but that's just neither here nor there. The, Dave's it, working it out out loud right now. You yeah. love to see it. I, I am literally having a conversation with myself through everybody here, and it's great. I really hope you enjoy my half a beer ramblings. Uh, 
It's been very entertaining. Um, There's no issue until Laugh needs a new deal is basically what I'm trying to get to. When Laugh needs a new deal and possibly Miller needs a new deal, that's where we start getting into some gray areas. But Kako's not going to command a big deal. He's not putting up points unless he puts up 100 points in the next 70 games. It's not going to happen. I'm not right. concerned. Yeah, well, and there are there was a, a little bit of chatter about, and I think actually Arthur Staple, who wrote a, a a nice little article on the Athletic, I guess it's his second or third contribution since taking over for uh, Rick Carpinello, who did officially retire after the Seattle game. Uh, Staple's article did sort of drop a little bit of a mention about a potential offer sheet risk with either Kako or Lafreniere. I suppose that could happen. Obviously, we know offer sheets are extremely rare in the NHL, but teams do see a cap crunch. Uh, They may not feel favorable towards the Rangers, and who knows? I mean, I suppose that's a a risk you run, but if somebody wants to throw an offer sheet at someone like Kako or Lafreniere, then I guess you deal with that. You cross that bridge when you get there, right? It just happens so infrequently. That's the thing. Like, I mean, I wish it would happen more, although I, like, don't really want it to start with, like, my someone offer sheeting my team. But uh, it just, it's so infrequent. And I know, Rob, this is, like, one of your gripes about the NHL as a whole. Like, it's the same thing with, like, the Connor McDavid just sticking it out in Edmonton and, like, wasting his talent. Um, but I feel like there's kind of just, like, no fun. You know, it's it's fun to offer sheet. Weren't it's, they going to offer sheet Pedersen in our dreams? Like, I mean, come on. <laughs> So well, but also it just it, what it what it means is that there's not a lot of player movement. And honestly, I, I don't know. Capo Caco is the kind of guy that I think we would have thought of as untouchable. And, and look, I want to give him more than three or four games and we'll get into how the team is currently playing in a second here. But, you know, I think you have to be willing to part with some talent if it means adding that final piece to your roster. Now, the whole point of Caco and Lafreniere is that they are supposed to be can't miss prospects guys who you drafted obviously second and first overall respectively who you're expecting to score you know i mean i love capo caco i think his game is 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 rounding into form i love the defensive metrics and the and the impact he has on his uh, line mates and on his team but ultimately you know he's paid to score points uh and, and if that doesn't come then you do you start you know thinking all right well is he part of a big trade package if we do need to bring in a, a big-time center, right, to play behind or, or even play to be a, a top center and, and shift Zibanejad down to the second line? I mean, we're, we're getting into massive hypotheticals here. And this is all off the back of the Adam Fox contract, right? So um, but I want to ask that you guys a question. What is your we'll walk-away point in terms of dollars? Let's say Kako gets offersheeted. What's your walk-away point in terms of dollars per year for him? Wow, and I'm getting somewhere with. I want to say, I want to say something like five and a half, six million dollars, something like that. Is that is that way too low? Six is what came to mind for me. Okay, so the cutoff point for one of the RFA offer sheet compensation brackets uh, for the 2021 season was six point one six million dollars. And that's the upper end of it. And that would be the Rangers getting a first and a third round pick if they decided not to match. So $6.17 million, they get a first, a second, and a third. There are 14 teams 
that can do a $6.16 million contract. And that's just in terms of draft picks that they have. And just looking at these teams, what the Flyers are competitors, the Islanders are... Oh, God, that's brutal. The Islanders are competitive. That would be brutal. Dave, you're taking us down a really dark path. Like, I wasn't going to drink until closer to the end of the podcast, but... Yeah, uh, the Caps are in this boat. But this is just draft pick equity. I'm not talking about cap space equity. So of those teams, the Islanders don't have the cap space. The Caps don't have the cap space. The Flyers, I think, do. But of the contending teams, what, St. Louis, maybe. Minnesota, probably. And and what, you think Ottawa, Arizona, Buffalo? They're going to do this? Well, they're not going to offer shit. Yeah, they're not going to do San Jose. San San Jose is so bad. And they don't even have the cap space because they're paying $90 million to Eric Carlson's right ankle. (laughs) It's true. Well, and... Yeah, I mean, look, it makes for some interesting scenarios. And there there certainly are some questions that Chris Drury is going to have to answer next year. You know, this coming off, so next offseason, the offseason after that. And I think, look, we have had, we've spilled a lot of digital ink on Chris Drury as president and general manager. We actually haven't talked about him that much on this podcast just because of the sort of circumstances and the, you know, what we've talked about on, on, on the show so far this season. But I mean, this came up today on Twitter as well, and I kind of want to get, you know, everybody's thoughts on it. There was a, 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 a it was a debate. I think it was quite a silly debate, but there was a debate over whether or not this was a move that Chris Drury deserves credit for. Um, you know, I guess, Becky, starting with you, does he deserve credit or was it such a no brainer that you can't even, um, you know, put anything in, you know, you can't put any... Uh, you can't give Chris Drury any cookies for this because, you know, hey, it's 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 uh, the robot GM would have done it. Um, so I think anyone who has a problem with like or is just finding any kind of negative thing to say right now, really like fucking go get a hobby. I really can't because this isn't working for you. Um, but and I'm sorry, this is going to be an explicit podcast. Well, now that we said the first F bomb, fuck, fuck, fuckity fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so my answer to answer your question, yeah, a robot GM would have made this move. Um, I don't necessarily think that you like. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Like, why can't we say like, yeah, this was a no brainer, but like, good on him for doing it. I also like. I haven't been like I guess super tuned into like what every single quote unquote insider is saying all the time, and like. I'm not looking at Twitter 24 hours a day because unfortunately I have a job, although I'd love to sit on my ass and do nothing. But I (laughs) like, like, and that's not a slight to anyone. I legitimately would love to not be working right now. Like work is really busy. Zero (laughs) fucks given Becky is great. I love this. I'm I'm on one right now. So I just like, I don't know that anyone even said that this was on the horizon, you know? So it was a complete surprise to me. And I give Chris Drury kudos for getting it done and like just doing it, seeing like recognizing that they had to get this done, recognizing that Adam Fox is an integral piece of this team. You know, I know a lot of people speculate and I think so, too, that they'll name him captain. Um, 
And I think that it's really good on him for getting it done. That said, he'd be a complete moron if he didn't get it done. So, you know, yeah, sure. I give him kudos. And at the same time, like the robot GM would have done it. I don't necessarily look at it, though, and say like, well, of course, Drury had to do it. So like he didn't really deserve anything. No, he got it done and he got it done for under 10 million cap hit. So, OK, yeah, like good job, Drury. Still think you made some sus moves. Still not 100% on you right now. Like, not thrilled about everything with Kravtsov. But, like, good good on you. You know, this was a good thing that you did. Dave, where do you land on this? So, you know that scene in The Avengers where Iron Man, Tony Stark is giving Pepper Potts some credit for Stark Tower. And it winds up being he she gets 11% of the credit. Yeah, Chris Drury gets about 11% of the credit here. Fox only wanted to play in New York. He was willing to take what seems to be a team-friendly deal. He left things open for himself. He got the front-loaded money that he wanted, and he protected himself from both a buyout and from a lockout. That's great. The cap hit is fantastic. But still, that 11% is haul for Larson. The trade is one for one. (laughs) <laughs> right I mean you, if, if you're point. listening exactly. to this podcast and you're thinking oh the, the Rangers would never have traded Fox okay how many awful god fucking awful GMs have we seen make horrible fucking moves and we're all wondering what the fuck were you thinking and then take a step back and look at what Drury did this summer with some of the trades he made and don't think that he that this wasn't at least an 11% possibility that could have happened. So he gets 11% of the credit. Yeah. I I think that's f- fair. Uh, and I think that was going to be my point exactly. That we've seen NHL GMs and definitely Ranger GMs uh, and coaches, of course, too. But, but sticking on, you know, player acquisition and movement. Galaxy brain stuff. It's just, I mean... The Rangers had it made with Anton Strawman. They could have kept him in New York, and everybody knows that that was that was the move that I think everybody has rightfully identified. You're giving me PTSD. That, that, you know, really, I, like, like what the uh, hell is your why? problem, Rob? Why? No, but like, but my point is, is that that was galaxy braining the situation. Girardi for that Vatman. was not looking. That was not looking straightforward with a clear head at the situation and saying. Player A is better than player B. We need to keep player A. They they rationalize themselves into making the wrong move. And so that's what could have happened here with Adam Fox. Again, much slimmer possibility of that happening because he is so great. He is, if not, uh, he's definitely the best defenseman. I think it's pretty much fair to say that. He might also be like an MVP candidate. And, you know, people don't talk about like these things in hockey because of the you know, lack of emphasis on individuality and blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, you don't really talk about MVP cases, especially early in the year. And it's reserved for a certain group of guys. Uh, and and it, defensemen don't win it very often and blah, blah, blah. Like he's absolutely, if you took Adam Fox off the Rangers, they would be abysmal. They'd be awful. Um, they would not have won the game. And this is a nice segue into our next segment. They would not have won the game on Halloween on Sunday night against Seattle without Fox because he made the play that he scored the goal. And also broke them out of their end with possession of the puck for like the third time all game in the third period. Um, So look, I mean, that's, he's so valuable to the team. And I mean, look, as we, as I said in the intro, 
universally this move was praised and celebrated by every single Ranger fan. And, and it really is going to be a, a privilege and a pleasure to watch him, you know, be a Ranger for the next at least, you know, seven plus years. So anyway, like I said, let's move on to just talking about the, you know, the, the, the two most recent performances by the team. So obviously this podcast is going to come out on Wednesday. There will have been a game against Vancouver, but we are recording before that game. So hopefully there's another win with some better process to talk about uh, in here. But, you know, there there was, there was really, I think, and I put it this way in our little uh, script here, there's really sort of a Jekyll and Hyde thing going on with the Rangers right now. Um, they're either completely absent and getting crushed in terms of shots and chances, and, and they're relying solely on the goaltender to steal points, or they are playing a complete game and shutting out the opponent and, and giving the goaltender a super easy night a la the 4 nothing win over the, the Blue Jackets. So, I mean, Becky, I'll start with you. What do we think is going on here? And I know, look, the, the easy thing to say is new coach, systems. Yeah, that, those are all factors. But is there anything else that you're seeing in terms of what the issues are for the Rangers and not being able to keep consistency? Um. Well, I, I'm just... I think that Columbus is not that good. Right. So, yeah, they beat a bad team, which is something that you need to do. I don't want to I don't want to like discount that as if that's a bad thing, because teams like plenty of teams will lose those games like to bad teams. And those are points that every every single point is important. Every point counts. So uh, they beat a bad team. But like this is it it was not enjoyable hockey. You know what I like the Seattle game? Like I just did not enjoy it at all. I don't No, it was awful. I don't want to you can't rely on Shesty. This can't be like a complete continuation of Lundqvist and it was just funny to see like Lundqvist in the studio in the second edition. <laughs> yeah. He was probably like, "Ah, yes." Like recollecting like battle scenes in his head, you know. So it's not great. So why is this happening? Was your question. I'm just, you know, talking. I don't know. And that's not a great answer. I really don't know why it's happening. I don't know why. I mean, Panarin had three assists the other night, and so I guess that it's all good, but he still looks like a little bit lost out there. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't have the answer. I mean, I there was really good discourse actually on Twitter the other day about having the seventh defenseman and what that actually even means because truly your seventh D is not going to be they'll be a replacement level player. You know, they're not going to be someone who's excellent. Otherwise, they're not a 7D. So I don't know. And what's also, you know, my other question, hey, what's like, what's the plan for Nils Lundqvist now too? I don't know. So I think it'll be interesting to see actually what happens in the Vancouver game. I know that it will have been last night if you're listening on Wednesday and we're recording beforehand. I'm curious to see how that goes. I also think for the Seattle game, I think jet lag is a real thing. I know that that's an excuse, but it is a real thing. And, you know, that's certainly something that could have affected them. So, okay, sure. But there have been games, right, that have not been enjoyable to watch that Shesterkins had to stand on his head. And we just have to see how it goes at this point. I mean, I think, and I'll, I'll kick it over to you, Dave, in a, in a second here, but I think similar to how you mentioned Lundqvist kind of sitting there and reliving maybe some of his greatest moments, but also some of his worst nightmares watching these games. 
I think that I have a lot of that going on too as a fan. I mean, there were so many games over the last, you know, six, seven, eight seasons that that looked like that Seattle game. And it's just, it, it gets really infuriating to watch because, you know, and I, I hate to go back to the charts because it's not all about the charts and the stats. But I mean, when was the last time the Rangers were like a top 10 Corsi team? Had to be 2014. It ain't now, like, I'll tell you that. Eighth or ninth. <laughs> No, I know. So they have basically, I mean, and just taking it over a very large sample, right, in terms of, you know, we're talking multiple seasons, multiple coaches, completely different rosters. You know, we've been watching consistently now for almost a decade, a hockey team that doesn't have a puck, the puck, the majority of the game. And that just gets really frustrating. And that's kind of why I wanted to sort of delve into this, just because you know, when will it end? I mean, Gerard Gallant's teams, especially in Vegas, were, were they had the puck a lot. They were attacking teams. They were on the front foot. They they outshot and outchanced their opponents on most nights. Um, I'm waiting for that. And I know it's only been nine games. It'll be 10 after the Vancouver game. So let's see where they stand after that. But um, yeah, I, and you see, you, you know. see glimpses of it. It's not that it's never I don't look at the team and feel completely hopeless or anything. It's it's not that I feel that way. You do see glimpses of it. You see domination. I mean, they did dominate Columbus. There were per- there are periods that they're dominating other teams as well. But I'm just looking right now at Natural Statric, and their high-danger shooting percentage is 25th in the league right now. So right. what's that? You know, they're like in the lower third for Corsi. It's just not – I mean – I think we actually said this on the podcast on one of the first, you know, we've only done like four or five now, but on one of the first ones, hey, like Thanksgiving's really going to be the litmus test, like start really seeing trends by then and having legitimate, um, you know, places that you're you're happy, pieces of the team that you're happy with, and you're also going to have legitimate concerns by that point. It's November 2nd, so we've got a couple, like three weeks, three and a half weeks or so, mm-hmm. four weeks till we get there. So a lot can happen. Um and we'll just have to see. Dave, where do you kind of come down on this? Are you as frustrated as I am sometimes watching this team, or am I being unreasonable here? So I can't really comment on the Seattle game because I've been fighting something over the last couple of days. So I actually went you to bed after periods, the first though, period. That's all you needed to see. No, I went, after, I went to bed after the first period, didn't I? Second period? Oh, okay. Sorry. No, it was the first period I went to bed. Yeah. I put it in the BSB chat, and after that shit show, I'm going to bed. And you all left. So, mission accomplished. But, listen, there's no denying they've looked like crap. But there's also no denying they've banked points when they've needed to. So, it's this Jekyll and Hyde thing does make you want to take a shot, hashtag NYR shot club. Which doesn't oh, necessarily we, need we, to we be a shot of booze for people who don't drink. Shots of water, shots of coffee. If you're a maniac and want to take shots of coffee at 9 p.m., go for it. Uh, I might. Yeah, well, you, Becky, you're a maniac. We've established this. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and they're not even going to really get tested this trip. I mean, Seattle's bad. Vancouver's bad. Cal- Whoa, Calgary is six one and one. what are the f- how? No, Calgary and Edmonton are good, and they've well. Calgary shouldn't be offense. good. I, mean, I think you could also Edmonton. I get Calgary's been great. Calgary should not be good. I don't. Whatever. Okay, so maybe they will get tested. Well, I'll completely. Well, I'll walk that one back. They'll get tested because they got Edmonton, Calgary, and then Florida. 
um, and in, in the next three games after Vancouver. Uh, and Florida's a home game, so they, they suck, come home. Yeah. And look, look, they played a lot of ro- they played a lot of road games. Um, I also think that it kind of into this sort of inconsistency issue, they do seem to bounce back well after a bad game, you know. And they're kind of doing this thing where you know they're playing one good game, one bad game, one decent game, one terrible game, one very good game. You know, they're they're kind of alternating um, the strength of their performances and not really able to to string stuff together. But as you said, they've got points in all but two games. So that's a great position to be in as, as you move into the month of November. But I guess, you know, you know, Becky, you mentioned, I think their high danger shooting percentage, right? So uh, being low, meaning they are, are also not converting the chances they are getting, you know, they've sporadically created offense um, this year. It hasn't been consistent, but when they have had some good stretches, they're not finishing. So it's a lot of low scoring games. I mean, you know, I think we're used to the Rangers playing a little bit more of a track meet style over the last few years and having some high scoring games. I mean, most of their games are one, one after two periods, they're two, one finals or three, one with an empty net goal final scores. So, I mean, do we expect that to stay the same? Is this going to be the team? They are just a low scoring grinded out team or, or, or are they going to start putting the puck in the net a little bit more? I don't know. I mean, yeah. And it's, it's not, they're not, they're not, uh, finishing their chances and they're also not getting a lot of chances. They're 26th in chances as well. So, you know, I mean, they actually don't, I don't know what a positive, uh, well, no. I'm their defense is fantastic. Their overall yeah, team it, defense like, yeah, is they're fantastic. Only, that's the hardest they're not giving up do. that many. They're not giving up that many, but like you can't, you need to score to win a game, right? Like every time it's kind of like how I feel about baseball, right? Like you can't, <laughs> You can't win a game if you score zero runs. So you can't just rely on, like, your your pitching in baseball. Like, I'm a Met fan, and we've always had good pitching. And you can't just rely on them and score one run and then get pissed off if you lose. Like, that's it's just not a recipe for success. So, I look, truly, deeply, I think it'll come. I've been wrong before, and I'm not ashamed to say when I'm wrong. So if we're in the same position in March, I'll be like, oh, I was a shithead, and I was totally off. Like, I really... Whatever, like, yeah. and life, this team is going life's to too score. short to be serious about that. But yeah, like, I'm, I'm let sorry, it, let it score. marinate. Yeah, it, it, if this team doesn't score and Panarin and Zibanejad are not scoring, then I'm sorry, that ain't on Drury either. If Panarin and Zibanejad aren't scoring, no. Yeah, and you have to I have your that. best players play and produce. And if Panarin and Zibanejad don't score, there's nothing. Sammy Blay, Barclay Goodrow, Alexi Lafreniere, Capococco can do. They unless those uh, unless everybody else accounts for the hundred goal, uh, ninety goals, and what a hundred assists that those two are yeah, putting like up. That. Yeah. Then there's absolutely nothing we can do. And you could put that on Gallant if you want. You can put that on Gallant. I got nothing. You can only put that on Gallant, and you can put that on the players because the top six is the same, minus Buchnevich plus Kako. Well, and if you're telling me that losing Pavel Buchnevich all of a sudden makes Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider irrelevant and for some unknown reason impacts Artemi Panarin, who doesn't even play on the same fucking line as him, then you're galaxy-braining yeah, your rationale. Board. 
If the, it comes back to Zibanejad and Panarin. If they're not scoring, the Rangers aren't going to win. That's it. And there's nothing else we can say yeah, well, about the rest of the team. I think people are, for whatever reason, hesitant to sort of place blame on those guys. And look, I mean, they're they're adored by the fan base with good reason. They of deserve course, blame. They haven't played players. well. What the hell else are we saying here? I mean, they, they haven't. haven't scored. Panarin's looked like Zibanejad's shit. played pretty well. Panarin, like, Panarin's Panarin, played awful. Panarin's played awful. Zibanejad's been playing well. He's not scoring. And you need, like, you need both from him. You need both from him on that contract. And I'm a huge fan of his. But, like, I'll, I will be the first to say that he needs to start putting it in the fucking net. Like, it has to start happening. But I think it'll come. What I don't, I, like, it does it's not like last year when he had COVID and he looked like ass. And we're sitting there like, what the hell happened to Mika Zibanejad? Like, I'm almost, like, thinking, like, did something happen to Panarin? Because what's going on? You know, he just is finally starting to show glimpses of not looking like complete crap. And Could I you love imagine Artemi if Panarin. aging curves came for him? No, they didn't come for him. He's <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. What if I told well, you I that Artemi Panarin needs Ryan Strom in order to produce? Well, that would be the ultimate plot twist, wouldn't it? Uh-huh. All well, of us would be Let me know why they didn't trade him. <laughs> All of us be eating our. One hats. of the things I like about, one of the things I like about Gallant though is that he doesn't change the lines very much at all, and he is very patient. Uh, he he actually gave some really great answers. Not in his post game press conference after the Seattle game, he was so angry, and you know he didn't yell and scream at the media, but you could just tell he was really pissed off at the way they had played. And he's also getting sick of being asked like, "Oh, well, you played like crap, but you won." He just hates that question, rightfully, because. You're half one foot in, one foot out, right? It's like, yeah, we won. Yeah, I know we played like crap. I'm tired of talking about it. But, you know, he said, look, um, Zabanajad, Panarin, Strom, Kako, Fox. He's like, these guys are such great players. I don't want to take away their opportunity and their and their um, willingness to make plays. So, he, you know, for as much as you, they always say, oh, we want to we want to dump pucks in and get behind their de- defense and forecheck and go to work on the cycle. Um, Gallant, he, he basically came straight out and said, like, I'm not going to force those guys to do that. Like they have license to carry the puck, uh, and over the blue line and make plays. Now, look, that does mean you're going to turn it over and that's going to feed the other team's offense going the other way. So that's just something to be cognizant of as we watch them. And look, I do think that when it got late in the game and they were protecting a lead against Seattle, they actually did dump the puck. And I actually remember Panarin doing it a couple of times where normally, you know, he's, He's going to pull up at even the red line and and recycle the puck so that he doesn't have to lose possession normally. But he got to the red line, chipped it in behind the defense, and then skated after it like he's playing on the fourth line, which is how those guys play. So, you know, I think I think the intentions are there. I think they want to do the right things. I just think they are kind of playing through some early season struggles. Um, but I, I mean, Dave, like you said, well, if they don't score all year, that maybe we blame Gallant. I don't even think you can blame Gallant. Like you, you do, you you're gonna end up having to point the finger at the players or just chalk it up to to bad luck, I suppose. Yeah, um, I walk that one back, saying it's got to be Gallant and or probably both the players. But like, remember, Chris Kreider is scoring seven. He's put up seven goals already, so this isn't necessarily a matter of line mates missing Zabanajad or or anything like that. It's just you know, Zabanajad and. Panarin, they're shooting half of what they usually shoot. I mean, if that happens for an entire year, I, I, I got nothing. 
But it's going to be a long year yeah. if that happens. And we're going to be hearing, oh, what if this? Oh, what if that? It, what ifs don't matter if your top two players, forwards, don't produce. Totally agree. And now I need right, another guys, shot. So Hashtag think... NYR Shot Club. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, we are going to shift gears at this point uh, and talk about the biggest story in hockey and and really one of the biggest you know sports stories uh, in the country over the, you know from over the last week or so. Um, although it hasn't been covered that way, it's it's it, which is kind of a sh- it is a shame, frankly. You know, um, I think I looked at the New York Times uh, a couple of days after you know Kyle Beach kind of identified himself as John Doe. Um, and, and, you know, the Rick Westhead's reporting went mainstream and the, the great work that Katie Strang has, has done on the story. And I, the New York Times had like one little article at the very bottom of the sports page about this. And I, I just think that's sad because these stories do need to be told. But, you know, uh, the reason we want to talk about this is obviously, you know, Gary Bettman gave a press conference on uh, on Tuesday or was that on Monday? Actually, I think it was yesterday recording on Tuesday. And. Really, I think uh, the only word that came to my head to describe it was pathetic. You know, he didn't even really apologize to Kyle Beach. Uh, he apologized sort of uh, about the way it was handled, but he did not offer an actual apology to the victim here. And, um, you know, look, this this is just uh, it is it is the ultimate low point for a, a league and a sport that I think has had plenty of them. Um, you know, when it comes to things like player safety or, you know, lockouts and such, but all of that stuff pales in comparison to what happened to, uh, to Kyle Beach. So, you know, look, I think we wanted to just, uh, talk about this, uh, and, and just, you know, first of all, you know, share our, our, our thoughts about it. Um, because I think it really calls to attention and really brings into sharp relief how broken, hockey culture is and how these, you know, institutions that have built up power, mostly consolidated among the rich white men that that run the institutions um, are failing people and are, are indeed ruining people's lives. And that's what happened to Kyle Beach. You know, and I, I mean, he has done an incredible thing by coming out, sharing his story um, and also continuing to pursue a career in hockey. He's overplaying professionally in Germany now. I mean, what uh, you know, I, I can't even imagine uh, you know, what he's had to go through all because his organization and ultimately the National Hockey League failed him. So, um, you know, Becky, I don't know if you want to go first and, and kind of where you want to go with this. I mean, there's a lot of different angles and avenues to explore here. But the thing I always I keep coming back to is is hockey culture and how really rotten it is that it got to a point where Joel Quinville, um, you know, uh, John uh, McIsaac, uh, I can't remember the name of the the other guys now. That's escaping me. I, apo- I apologize. But they all sat in this meeting when, when these allegations were brought and basically decided, okay, nope, uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs are more important than this kid's safety uh, and, and his life. So that is, if that's not a rotten culture, I don't know what is. I, I, there's a lot of different avenues. So I'm going to start with the fact that they ignored it at first because they were too busy focusing on a Stanley Cup run. They, <laughs> I mean, they termed him, right? Like, they, they terminated him. They said, like, hey, either, like, get out or we're doing an investigation. He left. Name's still on the cup. 
got positive references, went on to assault a boy in high school and went to jail for it. So mm-hmm. and and let's assume and, and you know, and groped an intern, too, which also happened. But that's neither here nor there. So let's assume that those are his only three victims and just feeling like someone who's a serial predator. I have a feeling it might be a little bit more, but I don't have any any evidence of that. So that's just my feeling. Um, and these guys went to sleep at night and didn't feel anything. And that's the thing that's just like, that's what scares me quite honestly about people in general is a complete like lack of empathy, just not feeling anything, understanding that this kid's kid, he's not a kid, this person's life could be ruined. And you never read the comments, you never read the replies, and I am unwell, and I read the replies sometimes, and I've read a lot of people who are like, well, he was like a 6'4", 200-whatever-pound man. Like, there's no way this person could have assaulted him. This is made up. He made this up. And I'm like... That's not how it works. It's like, like, how fucking stupid are you that you think that that's how it works? You have a 20-year-old kid. I mean, think about when you were 20 years old. And I under like I was 20 years old. I had no high stakes in my life. And I still was like afraid of anything that like anyone in power could have said to me. I would have been like, yeah, I'll do whatever, you know. And this isn't I didn't have an illustrious, a potentially illustrious career on the line and someone telling me that they could ruin my career if I didn't, you know, whatever with them. So just that's just not how it fucking works and like it's just disgusting to me that people are even out there defending Brad Aldrich when when he went to jail like he is on a list he is a sexual predator this isn't up for debate this is facts you know and I just I think look like probably I think Dave, I'll let you talk more, I think, about like hockey culture and um, more about just how everyone failed him. But I will say that journalists right now are taking this high and mighty route when they I'm not saying they knew anything about this, but, you know, we had two reporters who were working hard on this, who were working for, you know, a long time trying to get this story out there and mainstream hockey media was too busy talking about like not having any inside info on any trades or anything in like cottage season and I just really don't want to see the faux outrage right now from any of them because if you didn't know about it fine okay you're not an investigative reporter and that's fine but like don't be like oh how could the NHL fail us so like no that's not how it works now and I think on a more serious note and I think this is probably the most important part, is that what we don't know is that, you know, this happened in 2010. Many of us didn't even hear anything about it for almost a decade. There are so many victims out there. And I just really want people, if you're listening to the podcast, if you are a victim, there are resources available for you. Um, completely understandable if you are not prepared to tell your story or anything, but there are people who can help you cope, who can help you seek whatever action needs to be taken. Um, Rain is an amazing organization. They're always available. Um, 
their phone number is 800-656-4673. They have a live chat. Also, uh, in a group that's super helpful for men specifically who are sexually assaulted, which may be just a more difficult because, you know, traditionally and, and more often it's women are the victims of sexual assault. However, there are plenty of men who are victims of sexual assault. Um, there is an organization called One in Six, and that's one in six, the number one letters I-N, number six dot org. They are also available. And in the spirit of just abuse, um, you know, domestic violence was unfortunately really the, the figures were really heightened during COVID. And the hotline.org is something that uh, is a resource also for you. Um, and that phone number is 800-799-7233. Please, if you are a victim of any of the above, please know that there are resources available for you know that you're not alone and you know i hope that kyle beach coming out and speaking his story bravely by the way so bravely um might just help you and that's all i have to say about that yeah thanks and we will um i'll make sure that that's all linked in the you know podcast description and on the blog post as well that accompanies this audio um Dave, over to you. I mean, just what thoughts do you want to share about this? And, and you know, I guess maybe one way to put it is, you know, what's let you down the most about this, you know, as a hockey fan? Because, you know, obviously uh, it's it, it, uh, the league failed Kyle Beach and the Chicago, the Chicago Blackhawks failed Kyle Beach. But um, I think every hockey fan around the world is, is certainly feeling, you know, a, a little bit at a loss right now. Just, you know how could this happen? But, you know, I mean, I'll let you run, you know, go from there. I mean, just what kind of thoughts have you had as this uh, story has unfolded and we've learned more about, about Kyle Beach's story? Uh, What really got me on this was not so much the cover up, but, what the players had to say, what his Kyle Beach's teammates said, mm. and specifically Jonathan Taves, you outstanding scumbag. I don't understand how anybody can defend an already convicted person of sexual assault how anybody can defend that kind of person and try to play dumb with what was going on when there are extensive articles saying how everybody knew and he would get tortured in the locker room because everybody knew. So we talk about hockey culture and... Listen, the furthest I ever went was college roller hockey. And even at that bullshit level, there was, you know, whatever we spoke about in the locker room never came out. But we never did anything illegal. I think the worst illegal thing we did was we bought a six-pack of beer off the other team one day, one game. 
we didn't commit felonies in the locker room. And to go ahead and have most of his teammates come out and defend not just Aldrich, but everybody that covered it up. And I expected, like, if you hear about something like this, you expect people to cover it up. People with money will always cover things up. And all these people have money. So they covered it up. That's what happens. But to defend it once it's out there, uh, I I don't have a word for that. I don't have any words for that. And... I got nothing after that. It's just how can you defend somebody else who is, as Becky said, on a list already over yeah over your teammate? You're supposed to have this bond with your teammates, this blood bond with your teammates. Defend them through thick and thin, and and you draw the line at a felony. That's what yeah, you, you say. Know, oh, you know what? Fuck you. I don't care about you anymore. Really. I mean, they were making fun of him at the apparently at the next year's training camp. And so, you know, for all the guys who are saying we didn't know about this or, you know, we didn't think oh, that's it was fucking that bad, bullshit. Like, they knew they all knew. Yeah, they all they all knew. And I was infuriated as well. Reading Kane, you know, who's a who's an idiot and a, and a, a criminal himself. Uh, you know, he, he had stuff that was that was uh, that Stan Bowman and uh, Al McIsaac helped cover up, by the way. Um but Taves as well. I mean, their comments were just ridiculous. I mean, at the Taves comment, which I, I'm not going to read or repeat here, but, you know, he essentially defends uh, Stan Bowman um, and Al McIsaac and, and basically, you know, talks about how great they were to him. And like, oh, my God, these guys have made Chicago such a special place to play and just like utterly tone deaf. But but also the, the quote ends up kind of basically he doesn't say this in so many words, but he, he basically uh, is pleading for them not to get canceled, right? It's almost like a like a like a, a, a screed against cancel culture, which is fucking crazy. It really is, and it's a joke. you know it just shows so uh, it just shows how far the hockey world's head is up its own ass. There's just absolutely no awareness of what should be what the right thing to do is in a difficult situation, and they always talk about the right way and being brave and being, it's all about the room and it's all about the boys and blah, blah, blah. And it, this shows what an utterly fake concept that really is. Because if all of that stuff was true, then these people would have come to Kyle Beach's defense. They would have probably knowing hockey players kicked the shit out of Brad Aldrich and then gotten him removed from the organization and into the back of a police car. That is not what happened here. And everybody who knew about this is to blame, and there's no other way to say it. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about, because I, I do want to wrap up here, is is Gary Bettman, right? So I don't think Gary Bettman knew about this, especially at the time. Obviously, they knew legal action was going to be brought once the you know the story started to kind of resurface and pick up steam last summer. Um, but I, Gary Bettman's response to this was completely tone deaf, and I think. This truly was, I think, for me at least, uh, the low point um, of this whole uh, of this whole thing. So, one of the reporters on the call asked Bettman, you know, why uh, were the Blackhawks fined two million dollars for this for for covering up uh, sexual misconduct, um, and why were the Devils fined nearly double that amount? Um, 
for the uh, illegal Ilya Kovalchuk contract. And do you guys know what Bettman's response was? It was different context, different facts. If those aren't the most four disgusting and indefensible words spoken by a commissioner of a sports league and the, the leader of a multi-billion dollar enterprise, I don't know what it, find me something worse than that. That is absolutely unbelievably tone deaf, indefensible, wrong, and terrible. This was a person's life that was ruined by uh, somebody who sexually assaulted him. And then his uh, bosses and the people who were supposed to care for him covered it up. That is worse than the devil is doing a little bit of salary cap circumvention. Are you kidding me? Is that really where Gary Bettman's head went to? And I think in the wake of this, what happened was uh, in this disastrous press conference, a lot of people uh, inside the sport and a few, you know, uh, you know, uh, journalists and uh, you know, I, Alan Walsh, the agent who, you know, take it with a grain of salt coming from him. But they have said that there is real chatter about Bettman potentially losing his job over this. I mean, this is this is the kind of thing where if you want to show that you're really going to change and that you're going to start taking things like this seriously, um, heads need to roll. You know, it's not it's not OK, by the way, for Kevin Chevel Dayoff to still have his job. He was the assistant GM of the Blackhawks at the time. He was in the room. And he says, well, I came into the meeting late and I thought it was only text message. No, that stop. That's bullshit. He should lose his job. He should not be the general manager of the fucking Winnipeg Jets. Joel Quenville coached another game. And Bettman said, oh, I, uh, I didn't want to prejudge him. There's a 107-page report. He was already judged. He should not have coached that game for Florida, you know, the, the, you know, that, the night that uh, Kyle Beach spoke. So, I mean, this is a, an absolute catastrophe on, on every level. Um, and the league has... Again, as a first and foremost failed Kyle Beach, but it has let down every single fan by this response. And it's, I think, frankly, and I don't know if you guys feel the same. And look, I'm going to, we're going to finish recording this. I'm going to turn on the Ranger game as, and watch as we edit, as I edit the podcast and we'll talk about it and we'll write about it. But after all this, it, I, it's hard to be a fan. It's, it really is hard to sort of put your hand up and say, yeah, I'm a fan of that sport. I'm a fan of that league. I'm a, I'm a fan of the National Hockey League. It's really hard to say that right now um, because of the way this has been handled. It's it's infuriating. Um, so yeah, I don't know if there's anything else you guys wanted to, to add to that. No, I would just say like that they definitely, you know, they did well with like the COVID bubble and they're doing well with the vaccinations and everything like that. And this is certainly not going to be like a vax chat And I think a lot of people looked at MLB and were like, oh, Jesus, like, what a mess. You know, this the commissioner doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And like, it's almost like the NHL actually like overtook another, you know, another um, major sports league for having their shit together more. But like, good Lord, Gary Bettman, you know, like. Jesus Christ, what well, are you doing? Well, this erases all that, right? I mean... Oh, 100%. I mean, like, that's the thing. It's like, you were, like, okay, kind of climbing up, and now you're, like, so far in the gutter, I don't even know it. Like, you're, like, with, like, FIFA or something, with, like, as far as morally bankrupt, go like, being morally bankrupt. So, uh, just, I think, like, everything you said, everything we're all saying is not a surprising uh stance to take I, I hope that it resonates with people listening to this and but I'm also not expecting any big changes but then again I didn't expect Adam Fox to be re-signed so I guess there's that yeah no but I think you know that that's what these organizations do and you saw it with Penn State 
you know, you mm-hmm. see it with the Catholic Church. Uh, and, and I think, you know, without getting into a larger discussion about, you know, you hope there aren't other victims, but there there surely are other victims in the world of hockey. But these organizations, these institutions will close ranks and they will protect one another. And as you said, Dave, they will protect the money at all costs. And if there's one thing Bettman is good at, uh, it is protecting his owner's money and growing that money. And that is the sad reality here. And and it really, that is as simple as the calculation was for the Blackhawks. It was more about, obviously, the Stanley Cup in the playoffs, but what does that result in? More money. You know, you can raise ticket prices. Your, your, your arena will be sold out every night. More jerseys get sold. The city throws you a parade. All that stuff uh, superseded Kyle Beach's well-being, and that's really, really awful. It's It's inexcusable. And you're right, Becky, changes do need to be made, but I think it's fair of us all to doubt whether or not those, those changes will in in fact happen. Um, all right, guys, you know, I do want to wrap up. We didn't have any, um, fan questions, but any final thoughts? Do we want to maybe do some Vancouver predictions and then everybody can laugh at us when they've turned on the podcast and they know the final score? How do we think the Rangers are going to play tonight? I got a bad feeling. But also, I'm definitely going to sleep after the second period. So, like, maybe they'll come back. I think they're going to lose yeah, 4-1. Yeah, these West Coast games are tough. I think they're losing 4-1. I'm sorry. Uh, I am Dave. not going to do a Vancouver prediction. Uh, I want to read something that a tweet from somebody. But, Rob, if you want to do a prediction first before I read this. Because this tweet that was put into the group chat by Brandon, and I had retweeted it prior, is just absolutely perfect and i have okay well i'll do a prediction uh yeah they're gonna lose four three in overtime so they'll get a point kako will score tonight that's my that's my i think we're gonna be having a kako goal at least in his uh he'll he'll finally get the goose egg out of his uh his uh stat sheet so i want to read this what's your tweet so from at adam underscore etc Leas Anderson is playing first line with Kopitar and Brown for L.A. tonight, and Brett Howden played first line for Vegas. If the Rangers lose to Vancouver tonight, there will be nothing connecting these facts, but I'm confident many of you will try, and I'm sincerely looking forward to it. And if that doesn't encapsulate everything that is Rangers Twitter and Rangers social media, Rangers Facebook is a cesspool, uh, but if that doesn't encapsulate everything that has gone on since basically Tony D'Angelo getting fired into the sun on any kind of social media platform discussing the Rangers. I I can't find anything more perfect than that. And it is a brilliant, brilliant tweet. That's all I wanted to say. I I read that. I couldn't, I I almost cut off in the middle of the Jekyll and Hyde conversation to read that out, but I figured (laughs) I'd save it for the end. That's perfect. All right. Uh, well, let's see what happens in Vancouver tonight. And, you know, I'll say it. I'll, I'll be I'll be the bigger man here. Best of luck to both Leah Sanderson and Brett Howden with the amazing opportunities that are being given by, by their teams tonight. Howden lasted 16 minutes and is no longer on the first line. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I had to do it. <laughs> amazing stuff. Live from the Blue Seats is a production of Blue Seat Blogs. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We're currently available on iTunes and Spotify. If you can spare a minute, please leave us a rating and a review as it helps other fans find the show. 
Follow us on Twitter at Blue Seats Live and check out blueseatblogs.com, the longest running fan site for all things Rangers, from news and opinion to video analysis and more. For Dave and Becky, this is Rob signing off. We'll see you next week.